and welcome to JOY, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, where our conversations about life and faith always include Jesus, others, and you. It's a recipe for joy. I'm the Reverend Mary Vano, and today I'm talking with my old friend, Joy Kreider. Joy, whom I knew a number of years ago when we both lived in Austin, Texas. Both of us have moved on since then, but on occasion, we still find a way to reconnect. Joy, thank you for joining me today. Now, let me invite you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. And as part of that, I'm wondering whether there's a story behind your name. I wear a number of different hats currently. I teach part-time in the psychology and the biology departments at University of Eastern Mennonite University. And I also work with a missions group called Interchange, an order of Christians among the poor. I lived and worked among gang-affiliated youth in San Francisco for six years, and then lived and worked in Cambodia for two years. And now I'm back in the States serving as a trauma consultant trainer for my organization. As you might imagine, when we choose to live in poor neighborhoods, There is a lot of trauma around us and often trauma that happens to us as well as we walk with people who have uncertain lives with typically no safety nets. I'm never bored. I like doing more than one thing and getting the opportunity to do that here in Virginia. So you do amaze me with your work among the poor, among those in need. You have so much to offer and you choose to challenge yourself in so many ways. But tell us about the origins of your name, your name, Joy. And my middle name is Celeste. It's a name that's hard to live up to, joyful Mm. and heavenly. I'm not sure that's accurate most days. (laughs) (laughs) But my parents told me they adopted me. They were an older couple with two older children and really wanted to have another baby, but didn't want to risk another pregnancy. And so they said that they were full of joy to be able to receive another child into their home. You asked me a little bit about what brings joy to me, especially in these days of COVID. I'm single and I live alone. And so those first lockdown came to Virginia in the end of March. And those first days were really challenging. But I had friends who I had done some dog sitting for and dog training. I do way too many things. But anyway, that dog started to come every week to my house for the day. And it was so special to have a warm, fluffy, furry body friend that wanted to be with me and chew on bones and chase balls in the backyard. And animals have definitely been over the years, horses and dogs especially, have been Mm. sources of joy. They love. Sure, some psychologists would say that that's not possible, but there is a connection and a recognition that is real and palpable. And so something that's given me a lot of joy in this particular season of some isolation has been having some friends with dogs who are willing to share them with me. That's been really special. I think animals love also. I think my dog loves me. She gets up in the morning and the first thing she wants to do is come and say hello to me. Dogs are simpler. Humans come with complexities and a deep capacity for love, but animals are simple, and so it's clear. Well, today, we thought that we would talk about story, specifically how we can discover God at work in our lives through story. 
the churchy word for that is spiritual autobiography, but it's really just about looking for God in the Mm. narrative of our lives. Joy, you and I have shared stories throughout the years, and I thought perhaps you could give us an example. Tell us a story of a time in your life when you look back on it, you've seen how God was present with you. My childhood was unfortunately pretty difficult. There wasn't a lot of softness or compassion or grace around the house. But I was gifted with a number of elementary and high school teachers who saw good in me, who encouraged me to stretch and to grow, to write and to achieve. Recently, I had the opportunity to get back in touch with my eighth grade teacher, who was also my volleyball coach. And in those days when I was a kid, she was so kind to me, so encouraging. And it was really powerful to reconnect and hear from her pieces of my story that she remembered that I didn't necessarily remember, but also that she knew that I was searching for kindness, that I was looking for safety. And she was really willing to put an arm around my shoulder, a nod, a wink, a kind word at the end of the day. And when I look across my years of adolescence and early teens, there really were a number of teachers who helped me hang on to life. Even when there was darkness at home, there was light in the faces of my teachers at school. And it was life-preserving and powerful. It was such a great joy to be able to talk with Mrs. K again and swap stories I carry that kindness with me wherever I go, and that kindness and compassion and grace extended out of her following of Jesus. And God was at work through her and for your benefit. How about you? What are the stories in your life that allow you to know that God was traveling with you along the way? I have been blessed in many times in my life to feel like I knew God's presence with me. Sometimes that presence has been pushing me, (laughs) calling me to do something. Sometimes that presence has been comforting me. One of the more profound moments, I think, came as part of my journey into priesthood, which is a longer story, and I'll just tell a small piece of it today. But there was a point in my discernment where I was ready to go to seminary, I thought. I was ready to respond to God's call to be a priest. There was a stumbling block put in my path. Again, this is a longer story, and I'm going to skip the part about the stumbling block, but there's a path, like there's a direct path that one can take. You know, you follow all these steps. You go and talk to your priest. You go and talk to your bishop. You form a discernment committee. You know, I'm making little signs for check boxes. You do this, and you do this, and you do this. Well, I hit a stumbling block. What that did was it caused me to have to seek a new home a new parish, a new diocese, a new bishop. And that was not on the checklist. (laughs) And the result was I ended up introducing myself to a new bishop. And I sent him like, I'd already been writing spiritual autobiography work for a long time. I'd been doing this work. So I sort of sent him all of this story of my life. I didn't really even expect him to read it, frankly, but it was the best way for me to introduce myself. And when I went to meet with him, he had read my stories. And not only had he read them, but it was like he knew me. And so we went from, hello, my name is Mary, (laughs) to, you know, him saying, 
I think you're ready to go to seminary. I see God at work in you. And we're going to rearrange the steps of the process. You are going to start seminary next fall, and we're going to do your discernment process along the way. And I have to say, I actually had really mixed feelings about that. It was a moment of such grace, like he saw me. I needed somebody to see this in me. I needed somebody to say that I wasn't just crazy imagining God calling me to be a priest, but this other person could see this in me. But the mixed feeling I had was like, wait a second, but we're supposed to check this box first (laughs) before I do that. And what God was sort of thumping into my head at that point, I think, was that I wasn't going to earn my way into priesthood. I was going to be a priest by God's grace and by God's grace only. I go back to that story many times because it was a moment of grace and it was an important lesson for me to learn. And it's a lesson that I frequently have to remind myself of, that there is grace. There's more than one way to get to the kingdom of heaven. tell you that I am practiced with telling this story. There's a longer version of it. There are shorter versions of it. Sometimes I'll tell one piece and not another. And I'm practiced at this because in part, this is what the church asks people to do as part of discernment, as part of seeing what God is calling us to. We're asked to tell these stories. These days, I am the chair of the Commission on Ministry in Arkansas, which means that I'm part of this group that oversees people who are in this process. And when people are first considering that God may be calling them to be ordained, pretty much the first thing that we ask them to do is to look in the rearview mirror. Because truthfully, none of us can really see the future. We might have hints about where we should be going, but our understanding of where God is calling us in this present moment is more likely to be understood when we look back and examine the events in our lives and how we responded to certain things in the past and what we learned from it and how we were guided, etc. The past often gives us our best insight about how God is shaping us and where we may be called to go next. It's a powerful tool in our lives, really. When we think about the life of Jesus and when we think about the story of God in the Old and New Testament, I'm often struck with the fact that most people that have an encounter with an angel or with God are afraid. Because Mm -hmm. almost in every one of those encounters, one of the first things the messenger says is, don't be afraid. Fear is a normal response to an abnormal situation. And in those circumstances, as we face an overwhelming experience, God always moves towards us with peace, words of peace, and the possibility of deep intimacy. And because I spend my time thinking about trauma and walking with people who have been traumatized, writing about and teaching about, there's something about that profound sense of fear and this word of peace that gets breathed over the individual. I love that on the other side of perhaps shock or fear when people encounter Jesus, like the woman at the well, Mm -hmm. she says, come and see. 
come and see the man who knows everything I've ever done. Rather than being lost and stuck in fear or lost in shame, I think she is relieved to be fully known and not judged and deeply, deeply loved. We do, in fact, serve a God who knows everything that has ever happened to us, every indignity, every wound, every sin, and still Christ meets us with compassion rather than reproach. And so for trauma survivors, for people who have faced a difficult thing or something that I heard from my gang youth a lot would be, well, I'm not ready to meet Jesus yet. I have to get cleaned up first. But what we see in the Gospels is a Jesus who is consistently moving towards actually potentially most dirty, screwed up, confused, distressed, anxious individuals in the crowd. And there's just something profound in living among the poor, in serving youth who have been banged down and battered and bruised and forgotten and dismissed and denied. For kids that have a gang affiliation attached to their folder in the white halls of justice, a lot of people just want to put them away. They want them to be gone out of the sight and out of the possibility of doing anything more damaging in the community where they live. But that is clearly not Jesus's response was to the tax collector who took as much money as he possibly could from his own people, to someone who potentially was prostitute. And that story of peace and intimacy moving towards us rather than away from us, it gives me pause over and over as I think about my own story. Although I grew up in a Christian home with quotation marks, it was other people who showed me the mercy and grace of Jesus. It was not my parents who showed me kindness. It was other people who said, it's okay, don't be afraid. I have a sense of maybe where you've been and what you've been through, and I'm not going to run away. And that's the Jesus of the Gospels. story of the woman at the well. Jesus meets her where she is. She even challenges him. He reveals that he knows her. Also the paralytic. He doesn't just see someone being carried to him on a mat. He looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. He knows that there's more to this person. Zacchaeus, he saw as more than a tax collector. Let's go to your house and have supper. He shows an interest in knowing who people are. Because we all do have a story, and God is interested in our stories, which makes me think that these stories of ours are powerful. Sometimes they're powerful in the sense that they keep us locked up. We've been through some experience, some trauma, something for which we are ashamed, and we're afraid of those stories. But often when we're brave enough to look at them, even to tell them to somebody, When we unlock those stories, we can discover enormous potential for healing, and they can be transformative. I also think that the stories that we have in our lives are not just transformative for ourselves, but when we are willing to be vulnerable and share with one another, we can learn and gain from other people's stories as well. 
I do a fair amount of work with men and women who were abused as children. Sadly, that's a part of my story as well. And one of the most powerful things I get to do is to simply tell my story. Because people who are on the road, or maybe haven't even gotten on the road yet, know that it's possible somehow to get to some extent to the other side. That whatever the injury is that you have suffered, the indignity, the harm, that it's possible for that not to be the only final defining thing of who you are. Sometimes we have to rewrite our stories too. I was talking with another one of our podcast partners a couple months ago about how sometimes it's the story that we tell ourselves about what is going on. Maybe it's actually a little damaging because we're telling ourselves a story that may be filled with shame. Like, you know, this thing happened and look what I did to mess this up. (laughs) And not to say that maybe we didn't play our role in creating something that was harmful, but maybe there was more to it. So sometimes we have to go back and look and examine and think, well, okay, that story that I've been telling myself is not the whole story. What else can I learn from what was going on here? I think that's something really important that we do for one another is that we listen deeply. And when we do so, we are being Christ for one another. I had experiences visiting kids on juvenile hall where somebody would be sharing to some extent their story. And then maybe the lawyer came into the unit, need to interact with that person for a few minutes, and then we could get back to conversation. And I would usually say, so you were telling me, and one girl especially, she was like, oh, you are actually listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's an uncommon experience for her. <laughs> uncommon experience for her and for so Mm -hmm. many of us. It is such a privilege to just be present and to receive someone's story and not run screaming out of the room. So many trauma survivors tell a part of their story, a tiny, itty bitty part of their story, and the people around them are clearly uncomfortable and would really rather not know. I love the story of the man who's lying beside the pool that Mm. bubbles up when an angel comes and people can get healed. There was all kinds of people in that place, maybe hundreds of people, and he can't walk. So he can't get himself ever to the pool fast enough Mm. to be healed. And I love that in that story, this is my read, but the story doesn't say that Jesus went and healed 72 people. It feels like Jesus knew that that man was there beside that pool and he was never going to get healed unless somebody was willing to go to him. It's profound because I do think that that's who Jesus is. And I also think that our willingness to be silent, to be still with others, to go to others and find them where they are, that that is the stuff of the Gospels. And if we never, ever are willing to step outside of our little arena of whatever our normal is, we're not even going to see the guy by the side of the road that's been knocked down and robbed and beaten and left for dead. The stories are incredibly powerful. 
Jesus used stories to teach. Isn't it interesting that our way to know Jesus is through story? That's what the Gospels are. We get four perspectives on the life of Jesus of Nazareth. We know him primarily by how his story interacted with the lives of the people he met. And that's how we get to know our stories, too. They get intertwined with the lives of others, often in a beautiful way. But that is also a very good argument for why we need to be thoughtful about the impact we will have on the people around us. Because if we spend sometimes not more than five minutes with somebody, we may end up in their story. I love stories so much. One of my major pastimes is just reading novels. <laughs> sometimes I feel guilty because I think, I, well, I ought to be reading something serious, nonfiction. But I always go back to the fiction because stories to me are just powerful. I want to bring in an example of a story, which is also a musical, another one of my loves, a source of joy for me, Wicked, the popular Broadway musical. It's a prequel to The Wizard of Oz. And it tells a story of the relationship between the Wicked Witch and the Good Witch. And when you go into the story, I mean, the way it's told, their relationship is more complicated. It's not that one is wicked and one is good. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And if you're not familiar with it, towards the end of the musical, there's this song called For Good. Kristen Chenoweth, who sings the part of the Good Witch, she starts by saying, I've heard it said that people come into our lives for a reason, bringing something we must learn. And we are led to those who help us most to grow if we let them and we help them in return. I have to resist once again the temptation to sing to my audience. <laughs> but the refrain <laughs> of this song is, who can say if I've been changed for the better? Because I knew you, I have been changed for good. In the context of the song, we know that's a double entendre. Changed permanently, but also changed in a meaningful, positive way. Their stories, the good witch and the bad witch, it's not black and white. It's that they have shared love and meaning and joy with one another. Stories are absolutely powerful. I mean, what I have experienced, I recently told a short but very painful piece of my story to my entire organization online which meant that there were no coffee table moments or meals to share together as we usually would in such a conference altogether as one. But rather, I was dumping truth into electronica and not knowing whether or not anything would come back. And in my organization, there are a number of us who are Western and who have lots of education. And there are also people who come up from the streets and are serving alongside of us and have no education. And it's rare that they comment in such meetings. And I was just profoundly moved by a colleague who has an eighth grade education who opened a conversation and then two other women who live in ghetto situations in South and Central America who spoke from the heart publicly in a way that I'd never, ever heard them speak before. It was just absolutely profound and the risk was worth it. And so, yes, stories have tremendous power. And so not only do we experience Christ who welcomes us to come to the table and to stay and to be honest, but as you said earlier, we can do it for each other. We can be Christ to each other. 
and create, I might not understand everything you say. If I'm not from your background, I'm not going to know every footstep you've taken in that journey. But we can offer safe, compassionate tables where people feel accepted and like it's safe to tell their story too. And that is a profound gift that pastors and priests and missionaries and ordinary Joes that work at the local coffee shop, we all have that power to receive someone else with hospitality, to listen instead of speak, or to share just enough of our own stories for people to know that we're real Mm -hmm. and that we need people to listen to us too. It's a gift that we can give each other. And Joy, you have given me this gift today. Thank you for letting me tell a little bit of my story. Thank you for telling a little bit of yours. You've completed my joy for today. You and I don't get to talk very often, but it Mm -hmm. is such a pleasure to get to share these spiritual stories with you. And for our listeners, I encourage you to spend some time thinking about your own story. Look back to see where God has been present with you. And then maybe even share a part of your story with a trusted friend. I think this is a process that will bring you some joy. I pray that it will. So please do listen again next time. And remember that our J-O-Y is not complete without you. is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Vano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer. Mm-hmm.